Donovan enjoyed his drive to work every morning at Rose Hall Great House. The sun shining off the turquoise waters of Montego Bay. A cool breeze whipping past his face. Reggae blasting full volume from the speakers of his aging Camry. It was the drive home every night that he dreaded. And not even the drive itself, the walk to the car. As a tour guide, he spent all day frightening tourists with tales of the murderous Annie Palmer, whose ghost still haunted the grounds. Donovan didn't believe in ghost stories, but one night, as he left work, Donovan heard something behind him. He wheeled around, but saw no horse or rider. He turned back toward the parking lot. Then he heard it again. He glanced back, but saw nothing. The pace of the stomping hooves increased, from a walk, to a canter, to a gallop. The sound echoed around in his head. Donovan spun around, and that's when he saw her. A pale woman on a dark horse, three of its legs wrapped in shimmering white cloth. The woman galloped straight toward him, cracking at the air with her long black whip. The woman's whip lashed, striking him across the face. Donovan screamed in pain as the horse barreled right into him. But he never felt the impact. The horse and its murderous rider vanished into the night. It wasn't until Donovan reached his car and adjusted his rearview mirror that he saw the bloody gash running down his numb face. His eye was swollen shut. Years passed, but his eye never opened, and the scar never healed. Every evening, he watched the shadows with his good eye as he returned to his car, jumping at every noise, wondering if this would be the night he saw the woman and her three-legged horse. Welcome to Haunted Places. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to Rose Hall in Montego Bay, Jamaica, and discover why, to this day, it's haunted. If you can't get enough haunted places, don't forget to subscribe. You can find us on your favorite podcast directory, as well as on Facebook and Instagram, at Parcast, and on Twitter, at Parcast Network, or on our website, Parcast.com. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, wherever you're listening. There isn't just one haunted mansion at Rose Hall in Montego Bay, Jamaica. There are two plantation homes plagued by restless spirits. The first is the Cinnamon Hill Great House, which once belonged to the legendary Johnny Cash. And the second is the eponymous Rose Hall Great House. Rose Hall was built in the 1770s and named after its first owner, Rosa Kelly. Two sets of wide stone steps led into a stately, symmetrical Georgian mansion. 
Its interiors were furnished with rich red mahogany wood, and the windows looked out over the ocean. But this picturesque plantation was built on the backs of the slaves who harvested sugarcane in the fields surrounding the mansion. And rumor has it that one of the plantation's most infamous owners was Annie Palmer, who married into the family in 1820. According to legend, Annie often rode her horse in the middle of the night, whipping any slaves she passed by. Her horse had white bandages wrapped around three of its legs, and locals named it the three-legged horse. Annie was a cruel woman, and she met a cruel end. Annie looked out her balcony over the sugarcane fields. In the distance, she could just see the rotting head of her former house slave. That would teach them to try and poison her. She smiled to herself. The woman must have had conspirators. She would kill them all, but slowly, painfully. Annie was so caught up in her thoughts that she didn't hear the door open. Nor did she hear the footsteps growing ever closer. But she did feel the hands grabbing at her throat and squeezing it tight. Annie's corpse was discovered lying across her bed. No one knew or cared who killed her. But a hundred years later, rumors began to spread that Annie's ghost was haunting the former slave plantation. In the 1920s, a Jamaican author named Herbert George DeLisser decided to capitalize on these rumors. The great house at Rose Hall had once been a beautiful home, or so Herbert had been told. But all Herbert saw was a monstrous, derelict ruin looming over him. Vines crept along the great house's walls. The paint of the once gleaming white facade had faded to a dingy yellow. The wood was rotting. The yawning windows were dark, offering no glimpse of the ruined house beyond. Herbert shivered. Perhaps he was taking his research a little too far. After all, he already had most of his new novel planned out. Looking around the moonlit grounds, imagining the plantation as it might have looked a hundred years ago. The house shining white in the sun above the green fields of sugarcane. In Herbert's imagination, Annie Palmer studies voodoo as a child from a mysterious Haitian woman she knows only as the Baroness. And when she moves from Haiti to Jamaica, she gives in to her dark desire to kill. She murders three husbands, and she tortures, rapes, and slaughters her slaves. But she finally goes too far when she kills her slave Taku's niece, Millicent. Taku decides to get revenge. Taku and a group of men armed with machetes sneak up through a secret door in the cellar and corner Annie Palmer in the bedroom. Taku grabs Annie by the throat and strangles the evil woman to death. Or maybe Taku should stab her with a machete. That might make for a more gruesome end. Hmm. Herbert jolted back to awareness. How long had he been wandering the ruins of Rose Hall, lost in his thoughts? He looked around, 
and realized he was now standing on the portico at the top of the broken stairs. Below him, Montego Bay glittered in the moonlight. But Herbert didn't remember climbing the moss-covered steps. The house seemed to call to him, beckoning him onward. He found himself stepping inside the dark archway and into the remnants of the entrance hall. Herbert pulled out his right-angle flashlight and flicked it on, but he could barely make out anything in its tiny circle of light. Just beyond his field of vision, shadows loomed. Anything could be hiding in that darkness. He knew from his research that somewhere upstairs was the bedroom of Mrs. Rosa Palmer. This was where Herbert wanted his protagonist Annie to meet her gruesome demise. He needed to see the bedroom for himself. He shuffled forward slowly, aiming the flashlight at the darkness ahead of him, searching for the mahogany staircase. Every hair on Herbert's body stood on end. He could have sworn he heard a voice. Herbert slowly turned, flashlight at the ready. But he saw nothing in the weak beam of light, and so, he inched forward once again, fumbling through the dark hall, until his flashlight illuminated the bottom step of the mahogany staircase. Herbert ascended the staircase carefully, wondering with each step if the rotting wood was about to give way. Each step sagged beneath his weight. When he reached the solid ground of the second floor, he let out a pent-up sigh of relief. A hundred years ago, Rosa Palmer's private wing was painted with gold and decorated with elegant portraits. But time had laid bare the true ugliness of this place. The water-damaged walls were bare, and the air smelled of rot. Each doorway he passed yielded no glimpse of the darkened rooms that lay beyond. He felt almost as though someone was peering out at him from the abandoned bedrooms watching him from the shadows. Herbert came to a halt at the last room at the end of the decrepit hall. This must have been Rosa Palmer's bedroom. He started to step across the lineman and into the room, but stopped, shivering. His shoes felt like they were rooted to the dusty hallway floor, as though something was holding him there. Yet he could see the silhouette shapes of the furniture. They goaded him forward. Herbert took a deep breath and crossed the threshold. He took one step and then another into the bedroom. He swept the flashlight in an arc, surveying the empty room. It was stripped bare, as soulless as every other room in this wretched house. But Herbert brought the room to life in his mind. He imagined Taku towering over Annie, ready to take revenge on his cruel master. He could almost hear her pleading. Wait a moment. Herbert shuddered. That wasn't his imagination. He knew he'd heard it this time. A woman's voice, close at hand. Slowly, he inspected the room with his flashlight once again. The room seemed empty, 
until his beam passed by the window. A white woman was staring out the window, dressed in an ancient green Manchua gown. Herbert gasped, the flashlight slipping from his hands. As the flashlight hit the ground, the bulb winked out. Herbert could see nothing in the blackness, but he heard footsteps echoing on the ancient wooden floors. Herbert desperately scooped up the flashlight and switched it back on, but the light didn't return. He could sense the woman somewhere nearby. He stretched out an arm, trying to ward her off, but his fingers sliced through empty air. Sweat beaded on Herbert's temples. He shook the flashlight, cursing. Finally, it flicked on. Herbert swept the room with the light. The room was empty. He sighed, relieved, until he felt breath on the back of his neck. Slowly, he turned. Her eyes were as black as the windows of her ruined mansion, the mistress of Rose Hall Plantation. Herbert's head felt muzzy. Was this Annie Palmer, Herbert's own protagonist come to life? Or was this Rosa Palmer, furious at Herbert's plans to besmirch her family's name? He stumbled backwards, disoriented, as the room seemed to shift around him. His flashlight illuminated ancient furniture that had not been there before. Wooden chairs, a divan, a four-poster bed with blood-red sheets. Herbert's own nightmarish imagination come to life. He was no longer sure what was real and what was his imagination. All he knew was he had to leave, to get away. But the woman loomed over him, blocking the doorway. Her lips formed words over and over. She made no sound. But Herbert could hear her voice echoing in his mind warning him not to tell this story, her story. Herbert drew himself up, standing tall, proud, defiant. A cruel smile carved its way across the woman's face. She dove straight into Herbert, merging with him, burying her way deep into his soul. It no longer mattered if he ran. She would be with him, until the end of his days, the White Witch of Rose Hall. Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message. And now, back to our story. Herbert George DeLisser wrote and published The White Witch of Rose Hall in 1929, perhaps drawing his inspiration from the spirits haunting the grounds of the Rose Hall Plantation. Over the decades, Herbert's tale about the evil Annie Palmer, who murdered three husbands and countless slaves, blended with the legends surrounding Rose Hall and took on a life of their own. In the 1960s, the house was refurbished and restored to its original splendor. There were mahogany wood floors, ornate flowered wallpaper, and glittering chandeliers. Every room was filled with heavy antique furniture, four-poster beds, 
plush divans, and tables and chairs made of expensive dark wood. But no amount of renovation could rid Rose Hall Plantation of its spirits. Johnny Cash discovered this for himself when he moved into the Cinnamon Hill Great House at Rose Hall in the early 1970s. And I still can feel your presence round the Great House at Rose Hall. Johnny strummed at his guitar. The song was just about ready to record. But what should he call it? The White Witch? Or maybe The Ballad of Annie Palmer? Johnny stood up and stretched. His hands were cramped after too many hours at the guitar. He put the guitar away, slamming the case shut. Maybe he should go for a walk. But then he heard voices coming from his basement. He frowned. His daughters never played down there. Too scary, they said. But when Johnny asked what they were afraid of, they never replied. Johnny opened the basement door and hollered for the girls. But they didn't respond. Irritated, he called their names again. He felt a tap on his shoulder and spun around. His daughters were standing right behind him, looking puzzled. Johnny let out a breath, then told them to go play outside. The great house was quiet again, peaceful. Johnny started to swing the basement door closed, but then he heard it again. Voices coming from the basement. There was someone in the house. Goosebumps rippled along Johnny's arms. He went into the kitchen and grabbed his wife's heavy wooden rolling pin, a more reliable weapon than his Civil War Colt revolver. Johnny opened the basement door and descended the rickety stairs. He hardly ever went down into the cellar. It was musty and cluttered with boxes and old belongings that no one really wanted or used. He felt cold air on the back of his neck. There must be a draft down here. He flicked the light switch and the light bulb flickered reluctantly to life. Johnny glanced warily around the cellar, brandishing his wife June's rolling pin, but he didn't see any sign of intruders. There was a strange rattling at the end of the room. It came from the jail cell at the far end of the narrow basement. The real estate agent told him it was most likely built by the plantation's original slave owners in the 1700s, an old and precious antique. But the way it shook now made his skin crawl. The room's light did not reach the small prison cell, and Johnny couldn't see past its iron-barred door. But he could hear whispers emanating from the shadows. Johnny crossed the room. Holding June's rolling pin aloft in one hand, he slowly opened the iron cell door. As he peered into the cell, he glimpsed two figures crouched against the back wall. A young woman clutched a small boy in her arms. They were both gaunt, their limbs stick thin. Their clothing was little better than rags. It's all right, Johnny assured them, hoping to coax them out. 
but the woman and her child just stared at him with wide, dark eyes. Johnny propped open the jail door, crouched, and stepped into the tiny room. He moved slowly, trying not to frighten them. He stretched out a hand to the woman. The woman seized his hand in an icy grip and pulled Johnny close. Before he could yell, she put a finger to her lips. Shh. The woman was very still, as if she was listening for something or someone. Johnny felt a tiny hand tugging at his shirt. He looked down and found the child staring up at him, his face filled with fear. She's coming. The jail door slammed shut. Johnny hurried over, tried to shove it back open, but the metal bars wouldn't budge. He bashed helplessly at the door with June's rolling pin, yelling for his wife, for the children. No one came. He heard footsteps descending the stairs. Something was off about them. He stepped away from the door of the cell, trying to recede into the darkness. The footsteps continued, slow, methodical. Johnny looked at the woman and child huddled next to him. They were quaking with terror. He saw her dress hem first as she approached the cellar floor, floor length, green velvet. When the woman reached the basement, Johnny could see that she was pale. Her hair was pulled up, except for a few stray curls framing her face. She seemed beautiful, stately, until she met Johnny's eyes. They were pure black, the eyes of a demon. The light bulb flickered out, but Johnny could hear the woman's velvet skirt brushing against the basement floor. He yanked at the bars on the jail cell door, but it was useless. The door wouldn't budge. They were trapped. She was getting closer, closer. His cellmates whimpered with fear. So Johnny did the only thing he could think of. He started to sing. Where's your husband, Annie? Where's number two and three? He sang the ballad of Annie Palmer, murderess of Rose Hall. He taunted the black-eyed woman about the husbands she had killed, trying to sound defiant. But his voice was quavering like an old man's. The woman crouched, staring at them through the bars with her black, hungry eyes. With inhuman strength, she yanked on the jail cell door. The door creaked open. The black-eyed woman crept toward them, a predator about to spring. Johnny's voice caught in his throat. His song died away. The woman stretched out a grasping hand. Her jagged fingernails were as black as her eyes. But then he heard his cellmates humming his ballad. Their voices soft at first, but then they grew stronger. Johnny licked his lips and began his song again, harmonizing with their high voices. The black-eyed woman hesitated, her sharp black nails less than an inch from Johnny's face. 
The basement door opened. Distantly, Johnny heard his wife, June, calling him. The black-eyed woman vanished. Johnny let out a breath of relief, then glanced to his side. The woman and her child were gone, too. June called Johnny's name again, demanding to know what he'd done with her rolling pin. Johnny picked up the pin off the dusty basement floor and climbed the steps to meet her. That seemed to be the end of the trouble. After dinner, Johnny took out his guitar, picking out the chords to his new ballad. And I still can feel your presence round the great house at Rose Hall. Johnny's daughter ran over to him, beaming. She pressed a crayon drawing into his hands. Johnny glanced at the drawing and smiled at his little girl. A self-portrait? She shook her head. He took a closer look at the drawing, and his smile died on his lips. The woman in his daughter's picture wore a dark green dress and a bright red smile. But her eyes were black and empty. Our story will continue in a moment, right after the break. Now, the story continues. Johnny Cash died in 2003, but ghost hunters believe that he still lingers at the Cinnamon Hill Great House at Rose Hall in Jamaica. His presence is calm and peaceful, a far cry from the other forsaken ghosts hunting the grounds. According to Johnny Cash's Ballad of Annie Palmer, Annie's three dead husbands are buried under three palm trees by the ocean. And they're not the only ones buried on the grounds. The tour guide leads Darius, Andrea, and Nia through the house and out on the grounds to an above-ground cement coffin. This, the tour guide cheerfully informs them, is the tomb of Annie Palmer. Painted on three sides of the moss-covered coffin are three white crosses. One side is blank, unsanctified. Annie's killer wanted to leave her away to return to her tomb, the tour guide explains. Darius and his friends exchange smirks. They've done their research. Most of the tale of Annie Palmer is based on The White Witch of Rose Hall by H.G. Delisser. The real Annie Palmer was no one to be afraid of. But then, whose tomb is that? The three friends want to find out. There's no moon lighting the sky as they sneak back across the ground that night to the moss-covered tomb. So, they use their cell phones to light the way. They spot a security guard prowling the grounds and hide in the trees, waiting for him to pass. They reach the tomb and set up camp. They're wearing enough bug spray to kill a baby eagle, but the mosquitoes still swarm them, biting any exposed flesh. Nia lights a citronella candle and places it atop the cement grave, but it does little to dissuade the pesky bugs. Andre quickly grows bored, and Darius can hear him playing Candy Crush on his phone. Nia, on the other hand, seems to be taking this all a little too seriously. She stares intently at the tomb, as though she expects a ghost to pop out any second. 
The candle on the grave flickers in the ocean breeze. Darius hears rustling in the trees. Nia shrieks and grabs at his arm, but it's just an elderly staff member. A jagged scar runs down one side of his face, and one eye is swollen shut. The old man stares at them with his good eye, and Darius wonders what kind of horrors that eye has seen. The man gives them a warning. Watch out for the whooping boy. Darius snorts. What kind of lame ghost is that? But the staff member doesn't laugh. The whooping boy, he explains, worked for the Palmers hundreds of years ago. Each night, he roamed the plantation, hunting down any slaves who tried to escape. Now, he haunts the grounds on moonless nights, still searching for runaway slaves. A whip clutched tightly in his pale hands. And if he finds you, he never lets you leave. The elderly man warns them to run, to leave while they still can. Darius and his friends chuckle nervously, but they make no move to depart. The staff member gives them a last, lingering look before continuing on to the great house at Rose Hall. Darius can't seem to settle his nerves after the old man leaves. The candle gutters in the night breeze, then flickers out. Maybe they should all go back, Nia suggests. Darius has half a mind to agree. But Andre laughs at them. Did that one-eyed old man really scare them? They aren't frightened of Annie Palmer. Why are they so worried about some made-up whooping boy? Embarrassed, Darius leans against the cold cement tomb and folds his arms, trying to appear nonchalant. Nia presses her lips together into a thin line. She keeps trying to make eye contact with Darius. He knows she wants to leave. But Darius isn't going to give Andre another chance to make fun of him. He avoids Nia's gaze and stares out at the grounds. They hear someone approaching from the trees. Probably just another staff member. A white man emerges from the trees, his skin sickly pale in the light of Darius's phone. He isn't wearing a staff uniform. His clothes look ancient, like he's cosplaying a colonist from the 1700s. Darius calls out a greeting, but the man doesn't respond. Instead, he curls back his lips, revealing a mouth full of rotting yellow teeth. He feels Nia tugging at his arm, whispering for them to run. But Darius can't move. He glances right and realizes Andre is still playing games on his phone. He tries to call Andre's name, but he can't find his voice. The white man raises his arm. He's holding a long birch whip in his hand. The whooping boy. Nia's frantic whisper startles Darius out of his stupor. He screams out Andre's name. Andre looks up at him, confused, then turns to see the whooping boy, advancing toward him, smiling with a mouth full of yellow teeth. Nia is the first to run. Darius and Andre race after her, 
the whooping boy following close behind. Darius can hear the whooping boy chasing after them, cursing them for even trying to escape. He feels a whip curling around his ankle, pulling him down. Darius screams, scrabbling at the dirt with his fingernails, but there's nothing to grab onto. His ankle burns with pain as he slides backward across the grass toward the plantation, dragged by the whooping boy's whip. Andre appears in front of Darius and grabs his hands, trying to pull him up. But the whip is too strong. He keeps sliding through the grass toward the whooping boy. The ghost's laughter grows louder. Andre swears he'll save him. He lets go of Darius's hands, and Darius feels himself sliding across the dirt faster, faster. But then he feels Andre's fingers tugging at the whip wrapped tightly around his ankle. Andre curses, yanks, and suddenly Darius is free. He scrambles to his feet and Andre hollers at him to run. Darius races across the grounds, moving so quickly he soon catches up with Nia. They just need to make it back to their hotel, just a little bit further. Nia bursts through the hotel doors, Darius right behind her. Darius wraps Nia in a hug, laughing hysterically. They made it. They're safe. But wait. They look around. Andre is nowhere to be seen. The next morning, a search party combs the grounds of Rose Hall, calling Andre's name. Darius finds Andre's cell phone resting atop the cement tomb. As Darius reaches for Andre's phone, he feels his own phone buzzing in his pocket. He reaches it out and sees that he has a new text from Andre. Darius shudders. That's impossible. He glances swiftly at the tomb where Andre's phone lies abandoned. Darius's phone buzzes again. Another text from Andre. He opens it, his hands shaking. A message appears over and over until it fills Darius's screen. He never lets you leave. The Whooping Boy is one of several ghosts believed to haunt the former plantation. But the most dangerous ghost is the woman who haunts the great house at Rose Hall. She seduces new lovers, then murders them when she grows bored. Is this woman Annie Palmer? Or is it Rosa Palmer? No one really knows for sure. But there's no doubt that a white witch roams the great house at Rose Hall, searching for fresh blood. When your wife proposed honeymooning in Jamaica, you imagined languorous days lying on a warm, sandy beach, sipping brightly colored cocktails. The last thing you wanted was to waste your time touring a haunted house. At least there was a bar downstairs. As your wife went on her ghost tour, you downed a couple of shots of whiskey at Annie's pub. Everything took on a warm, fuzzy glow. Then you waited. And waited. 
How long was this tour going to take? You suddenly realized that a pretty woman was watching you from across the bar. She was wearing an old-fashioned green velvet dress. You suppose she was one of the actors who wandered the house in period clothes, posing with tourists for pictures. The woman smiled at you invitingly. Against your better instincts, you got up and crossed the room to sit with her. She was even more attractive up close. You needed to leave now before you got yourself in trouble. Then she asked you where you were from. San Francisco, you told her. She smiled and nodded with interest. She looked even prettier when she smiled. You asked her what it was like to work at the house. She told you that it wasn't work for her. She enjoyed every minute of it. Then she offered you a private tour. You knew you shouldn't have agreed. But you did. She guided you up the stairs to one of the bedrooms. Her favorite, she said. Everything was red. The walls, the cushions, the sheets on the four-poster bed. You asked her if red was her favorite color. She smiled and instructed you to close the door. Before you had time to second-guess yourself, she was on top of you, kissing you, tugging off your shirt. Some feeble part of you tried to resist, to tell her you were married. For Christ's sake, you were on your honeymoon. She slipped off her green velvet dress, and you swallowed your words. You let her guide you over to the bed, and you made love to her on the red velvet sheets. But then you heard your wife calling your name from somewhere within the depths of the house. Damn, you scrambled for your clothes. You peered under the bed and asked the woman if she had seen your shirt. You suddenly realized you didn't even know her name. She told you she found your shirt. You straightened up. Your shirt dangled in the woman's hand. You tried to take it from her, but she playfully snatched it away. You told her to stop it and grabbed for the shirt. She kept it just out of your reach. She stepped backward toward the bed, waving the shirt, teasing you. But you no longer had time for games. You could hear your wife coming up the stairs. The woman stretched herself on the bed, sliding one hand under a red velvet pillow. She draped your shirt over her like a blanket, daring you to take it. You climbed onto the bed. As you reached for the shirt, she pulled you close and kissed you. You gave in to one final kiss. You didn't see her withdraw the knife from under her pillow, and you didn't feel it plunging into your back. You collapsed onto the bed. Your blood was the same lovely color as the red velvet sheets. The woman bent over you, watching you breathe your last breath with her empty black eyes. Who are the ghosts of Rose Hall? No one really knows for sure. Some see a woman in a green dress, others the whooping boy. 
and some hear the hooves of a three-legged horse as it gallops across the grounds. But all agree that ghosts linger in the shadows of Rose Hall, waiting, ready to lure you into the darkness. I still can feel your presence round the great house at Rose Hall. Thanks for listening to Haunted Places. Don't forget to subscribe to Haunted Places on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. A new episode comes out every Thursday. We'll see you next week. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler. It's a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Parcast Network. It's produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Ron Shapiro. With production assistance by Joel Stein, Maggie Admire, and Carly Madden. Haunted Places is written by Jeanette Manning. I'm Greg Polson.